I was a good designer for where I was in my career back then. I mean, like if I look at my designs now, they were garbage. I was good enough to do pretty good work. But like, I didn't know anything about running a business, like even like sales funnels or market. Like I didn't understand how to run a business. I just understood how to do design work for clients who were paying me. That was scary. Hey, Feasters, and welcome to episode four of season three of Live in the Feast. I'm super psyched for today's show. It's with Paul Jarvis. And if you're a freelancer and you haven't heard of Paul, then at the very least, you need to go sign up to his Sunday Dispatches newsletter. It's honestly one of the best weekly newsletters you read. I'm Jason, aka Rez. If you are new to the show, Live in the Feast is a podcast for freelancers like you looking to build a profitable business and get recurring revenue. If you're not new to the show and you enjoy what we're doing here, why not go into iTunes and hit that subscribe button so you get notified as soon as an episode drops. Paul is someone who I've respected for for years, and he's been doing freelance service work for a long, long time. But he shifted his freelance business over to products, his latest being opico.com, and writing books with his latest coming out in early 2019. The thing that I've admired about Paul for such a long time is his candor, how he's been able to design his business to work around him, and how even in this automated world we live in, he keeps his business simple and very effective. In this episode, you'll hear how Paul has recognized his strengths and doubles down on them. Yet he's also been able to recognize that he doesn't have all the answers. So instead of trying to learn all of those things, he'll seek out people who already know the answer. We talk about how to handle clients who don't pay on time, batching, why being dumb and bored is fun, and pivoting your business is not an overnight thing. So if you're ready, let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Feast, the premium online coaching and community designed for web developers, designers, marketers, and freelancers of all type wanting to specialize their business and build recurring revenue that's profitable and sustainable. Today's market is ever-changing and yesterday's advice won't cut it. Feast members get access to the roadmap and training library, which includes everything you need to niche down, build recurring revenue, and become that go-to respected person for your services. That, together with monthly roundup calls, exclusive workshops, expert chit-chats, and our Slack community, you'll have everything you need to live the life of your own design. If you're serious about not competing on price and having clients that respect you and your expertise, then join Feast. Head over to feastcourse.com today. Hey, Feasters. And today's featured guest is Paul Jarvis. Welcome, Paul. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, anytime. Definitely. You're always welcome. (laughs) Paul, Paul is an author, a designer, podcaster, online course teacher, uh, and... Just recently on Twitter, he said when people ask him what he does in real life, he backs away from them. 
and into the bush, just like Homer Simpson would. <laughs> um, which he's been doing that. He must have been doing that for a long time now. Right? Like, yeah. Uh, but he's been a freelancer since the 90s. Um, and even with all the aspects of it, uh, he keeps his business simple. And that's what I admire most because I had to come to that realization that I wanted my business simple. And uh, Paul, I've, I've followed Paul for a long, long time. So it's a thrill to have you here. And even with all of the things that you try to make simple, you've started a SaaS company now called Pico. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And basically, like a lot of times I start uh, businesses or products, I guess, not really businesses yet. Um, to scratch my own, like I'll have an idea and I'll think like, okay, yeah, this totally solves a problem for me. And then I'll go out and I'll start to talk to people to see like, hey, am I, am I the only person that has this need? <laughs> or are there other people? So lately, just given the fact that I have an audience on Twitter, I can just tweet something. And I did the same with uh, my analytics platform was I tweeted something like, hey, if this gets enough traction, I'll build it. And then I think, yeah, Pico has a lot of retweets and a lot of uh, signups, so does Fathom. So, yeah, it's just kind of, yeah, it's just kind of gone from there. So, where does the name Pico come from? Uh, it sounds cool. I don't know. <laughs> so, initially, it was called Platformic, which sounds really boring in tech or corporate. And I was like, I don't know. I was going to swear, but I don't know if I can swear on the show. <laughs> like, oh, shucks. That's not a good name. So I, we just started brainstorming myself and uh, my partner in this project, uh, Jack Ellis. And I just thought, like, it's a cool name. I, I like that it's a four-letter word. Like, writing out platformic in the design was getting really, really long um, horizontally. And I didn't like the domain name either. So now we have Opico, like O-H. Pico, P-I-C-O dot com, which I think is cool. I think mm -hmm. startups are going to start using O, like O-H, as the <laughs> prefix on domain. Because most dot coms are taken now, even like get so-and-so or right. use so-and-so. So I'm like, oh, so-and-so. <laughs> I, I, I like it. You got to start that trend. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's funny because when I saw Pico, see, I mean, all right, this is good. All right shows my age a little bit and you know i've we've both freelanced in the 90s and and i'm a developer and i started on the unix like i grew up text-based yeah. links all yeah, that the stuff. text editor pico right yeah. yeah and that's ex exactly what i thought immediately and i'm like what what is he doing like rebooting that <laughs> oh boy <laughs> that was my initial thing so yeah. i don't know so i l always love to ask people because it's for me it's it's really learning about where you come from and why you do what you do. And so what would you consider your defining moment in life so far? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to really just pick one. I mean, meeting my wife, definitely. But like <laughs> for, for business stuff, um, probably the day I quit my job, uh, the, the job that <laughs> when I quit the job I had as a creative director at an agency, uh, where I used to live in Toronto. And I had no intentions of working for myself. Like I didn't want to be a freelancer. I was like, okay, there's some personal issues at this job. I'm going to leave. I don't like my boss for quite a few reasons. Don't need to get into that. But I was like, okay, I'll, I'm going to go find another job. 
like I was, I quit and I was like, okay, tomorrow I'll just like, I'll go to the library, figure out how to write a resume. Cause at the time the internet only had like eight pages and none of them were <laughs> resume pages. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll just go to the library. I don't know how to write a resume because I got hired out of university. Like I dropped out of university to do the job. So I'd never made a resume. And then the the day that I quit, or I guess the next day, because I think I quit at the end of the day because I didn't want to drive there and then drive home right away. (laughs) (laughs) I might as well put in a full day. I was young and stupid. But then the next day I woke up and... I was like, okay, I guess I'll go to the library in a bit. Like, I don't have a job. I don't care. Whatever. I'll, I'll wait a little right. bit. Right. And then my phone started ringing. And then the clients of that agency started calling and were like, hey, we know that you're the one running the show. If you're gone, we don't want to be clients of the agency anymore. So what? where are you going to go work next? We'll just bring our business there. <laughs> and by like the third or fourth call, I was like, well, I guess I'm going to work for myself because I might as well, like, why bring that work to somebody else so I can just do it myself? So, yeah, I mean, that was a, that was definitely, and then like 20 years later, I still work for myself. <laughs> so kind of defining, I guess, if I had to think of one thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when I asked that question, it's both personal and professional, you know, like it's funny when I asked that for other guests and some people say family yeah. You know, like you said, your wife and same for me, my wife is the best thing that ever happened to me. I say it all the time. But did you come from that entrepreneurial background? No, no. My, my mother worked uh, in the charity sector and my dad was a mechanical draftsman for probably from his 20 retired, probably for like 40, 40 years or so. So he did the same job outside of a recession where he, he did a bunch where he like built stuff at farms. And then he, as soon as the recession was over, he went back to mechanical drafting. So yeah, they were definitely not entrepreneurial at all. So, I mean, other than the fact that you didn't want to bring money to somebody else's table, so to speak, yeah. and you just like, you know what, just come with me and work with me. What was that like? What was the decision making to say, you know what, I'm just not going to make that resume. I'm not going to go to the library. I'm just going to do work for these people. Yeah, I think I went to the library anyways, because I was like, I need, I don't know how to start a business. <laughs> so <I was> like, <laughs> what do I, what, what like thing do I need to read? And then I just realized like, I mean, I just talked to a lawyer and an accountant instead of going to the library. And then that that was easier. But yeah, dude, like it was scary to do that. Cause like I had never, I never, I'd never considered it like the day before I wasn't even a consideration. So it was scary. And I mean, like as much as I was a good design, well, I was a good designer for where I was in my career back then. I mean, like if I look at my designs now, they were garbage, but like at the time I was pretty good. Like I was working with um, like professional athletes and stuff like that. So like I was good, I was good enough to do, to do like pretty good work, but like I didn't know anything about running a business. I didn't know about invoicing or books or taxes. I still actually don't know anything about taxes, <laughs> but like I didn't know how, like even like sales funnels or market, like I didn't understand how to run a business. I just, understood how to do design work for clients who were paying me and that was it and Mm. that was scary yeah that that was my i guess my career moment was the same thing like i had a skill set i struck out right at the turn of the century and that sounds terrible (laughs) holy cow that makes it sound so old but uh you know and i under two years i had to go get another job and it was mainly really because i 
I didn't know the business end of the stuff. I had the skill set as a developer and I was just like, I don't know how to do sales. I don't know how to do contracts. I don't know these things. And I was like, yeah, this is not going to work out very well unless I learn these skills. Yep. <laughs> Should have went to the library. Well, I don't know. Right? <laughs> That's true. You turned with yeah. the lawyer, right? Yeah, that's funny. So what was the low point then? I mean, I, that, I mean, that must have felt awesome that the clients were calling you. But after you started that, you know, initial projects, you know, ramping them up and all of that kind of stuff and getting the wheel moving in that direction, there had to have been some low points at which you were like, okay, I, you know, I don't know. I just don't want to get up today. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, definitely, like, I've been lucky and had a pretty packed, um, like, roster f- from the beginning because I started with a bunch of clients and they weren't clients that needed one project. They were like, I just lucked into this. Like, they were clients who needed new work and new projects every single month. But the, pro- the, the biggest issue that I had was the one client who's feeding me these athlete websites ended up not running their business that well and they got late on payments and then they got late on payments some more and then they're like we can't pay you this month well we're just like keeping a tally like you know we're good for it you know we're good for it and then i was like okay well i don't want to stop working for them because now they owe me like $10,000 or $20,000. And so I just kept doing the work. Hold on, my wife's passing me tea. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And so I just got to a point where I was like, I'm basically working for free. And because I keep doing the work for free, I'm showing them that it's okay that I just work for free. Like they're probably like high-fiving themselves. Like, why did we, why did we even pay Paul (laughs) for all these months when we don't have to pay him and he's still doing the same amount of work. And yeah, I think, I think it got, I think they racked up a bill of close to 30 grand. And this was like early on. And it was, well, actually, I, this was early on. If somebody screwed me out of $30,000 today, it would still suck just as bad. But because <laughs> that's a lot of, like, that's a ton of money. And at right. the time, that was probably like half my salary. Like, that was a huge amount of money. And I ended up just having to walk away from the majority of it. I got a lawyer involved, but like, it's hard. Like, I'm in Canada, it's hard to sue Americans. And like it's hard to sue people oh, yeah, in right. other countries. So basically, I could just sure. use a lawyer as like muscle to send like angry verbiage on a letterhead. I ended up getting like five thousand dollars out of the thirty. Like it wasn't very much. I think my lawyer took fifty percent of that because it was contingency because I didn't have the money to pay him. <laughs> so like that definitely sucked. But that really taught me that it's. Like it's okay to stop working if you're stopping if people stop paying you. And like right after that, I was like, after this, <laughs> it's so hard not to swear. But like <laughs> I was like, F this, net zero is my new policy. So right. you are if you want to work with me, you're giving me a down payment, then you're going in my calendar. If I give you a deliverable, you're giving me a payment immediately, or I'm not doing the next thing in this project. So you as a client are in control of the momentum of this project by paying me instantly because I'm doing the work for you instantly. Like not, I'm not doing it like in 10 seconds or anything, but like (laughs) I'm starting to work on it and I'm continuing to work on it from the start to the finish of the project. So if you want me to keep going, you're going to keep feeding me money. And then I haven't been screwed over by a client since. Yeah. Yeah. I I did that very similar thing. Like you're paying for the work that we're about to do. Yes. Right. Like, 
forward billing, not back. Like I always say, I charge a price. I don't charge an, I don't give you an invoice, right? Because you can't go into the electronic store and buy a TV and then say, you know what? I'm going to pay you in 60 days. Yeah. It, my payment is net 120 for this TV. <laughs> like it's not going to work. Exactly. Yeah. So, I, I mean, there was one time when I started out very similar in that way and it was a national brand and it was totally virtual. I never met the person and I had worked with the president and it was through somebody else that I was got this gig with and I would charge by the hour at that time. And I charged for phone calls. I charged for, you know, things like that. And for most of the project, he had no problem paying that. And then at one point during the conversation, he, I guess something gave him a tip to how young I was at the time, which was early 20s. Well, he didn't like that, I th- guess. I guess he figured that he couldn't, he didn't have to pay me anymore. And I was just like, what, what's going on here? Like all of a sudden this thing just stopped. So I just kept calling him every, like I, I would ramp up the calls. And yeah. at one point he filled up his voicemail yeah. <laughs> and it was like eight grand or nine grand, but it's still money. Yeah. Right. And, and I was just, you know, I was like, forget it. I'm not, I don't have it. I don't have a job to go to. So I could just keep pressing redial on the phone. <laughs> I'll just leave him a voicemail. And as a president of a company, he needs to get his voicemails, I guess. So, you know, it is what it is, nice. right? You got to do what you got to yep. do. So, I mean, obviously the design work and everything was working great. How did you turn into, I mean, you, you mentioned that you, I mean, you have Chimp Essentials, which is your MailChimp course. Um, you've done numerous other venture courses with other people over the years. What was your thinking along like, hey, okay, the design work is doing what it's doing and it's obviously paying for my lifestyle. Let me try this other thing. Yeah, dumb and bored. I think like (laughs) at the time of leaving freelancing, it was probably like my best year, like financially for freelancing is also one of the most stressful years for dealing with clients. So, but as well, like so one, I'd been freelancing, like I was just doing like web and app design for 15 years straight. Like that's a long, like I'm not my father. Like I can't just do the same thing day in and day out. And I felt like I like to be challenged and I like to solve problems. And it felt like I was just solving the same problem I knew the solution to over and over again. But it was a transition. Like I didn't just start um, the way that I started freelancing where I just dropped all of my clients and was like, see ya, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I'm out, guys. But like probably took about two and a half years to transition from uh, full-time, like 100% of my schedule freelance to 100% of my schedule products. And I just kept track like... Freelance, all my freelance billing is in one bucket, and then all of the money I'm making from products is in another bucket. And I'm not going to just do products until that bucket is making more money than what I was making freelancing. And that was kind of the, the like the deal that I made with myself because I was like, it was easy for me to at that at the time when I stopped doing freelance full time, it was easy for me to get clients that built up a great name for myself and a great reputation. I was charging really good money. Like I was, I was making a great living. Like there was absolutely nothing for me to complain about other than the fact that I was stupid and bored. Mm. <laughs> and like, honestly, that's, like that's a valid reason. Yeah, I guess yeah that's a valid, valid reason. honest reason at least. So yeah, yeah like I just kind of uh, approached it from, from like playing with the idea that like, 
if I can make this work with one-to-one relationships, like doing client work with like clients and if I could take that and turn it into one to many relationships, because at the time I was also building up uh, like an audience for the work that I was doing. And I was writing a lot about um, people hiring freelancers and that was kind of building an audience. And I was like, okay, well, if I can start to, to generate revenue and start to like enjoy this stuff and provide a bunch of value for the people, then maybe this is something that I could do full time. It ended up working out. It took a couple of years, but it did end up working out. Yeah. That's interesting to keep the buckets separate because I mean, it was essentially the same company. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's still- only me. It's still like, right. it's just, I'm the only person. <laughs> so how did, how did you, how did you divvy up the time then? Um, I started doing products like evenings and weekends. Like I do my freelance work during the day and then it basically treated it like a second job where I would, and the, the, my first, I think three products were books. So I'd be writing, working, working on or marketing books like evenings and weekends. And then as the first one sold and did fairly well, and the second one sold even better and the third one sold way better. Then I was like, okay, I can do one less client project this month because like 20% of my income is products now consistently. And then it was like, it would bump up a bit and I was like, okay, I only need to take on two clients this month instead of four because it's like 50, 50. And then there was still a bunch of holdouts. Like there's still some clients that I had that I've been working with for probably 12, 11 years where they only needed small stuff. So like even when I was full-time product, if they needed just like a little update or a graphic, I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. I ended up not charging. It was horrible. But like <laughs> it would take too long for me to send them a bill when my business was now set up for something totally different. So it was just, if it was like a 10, 15 minute job, I'd just be like, yeah, whatever, here it is. And then when they needed time, just like you have to find every time I'd be like, you have to find somebody else because I'm not going to be doing this for very long because I'm only doing this for you. And it's only like three or four clients. And then they finally understood and then, yeah, went, went with other people. But yeah, it's not because I feel like I'm part of a bunch of those clients' businesses where I worked with them for like over a decade. I feel like I have some, like I helped them build their brand on the internet and a bunch of them are like very successful. So I feel like I, I'm not the cause of that, but I definitely had my hand in those in those businesses as far as like the visuals and the marketing went. So it was tough to give, it was super tough to give up. Yeah, I can imagine. And <laughs> getting sucked back into it every now and then too, probably like, okay, it turns up those feelings again. It's like, yeah, you, like you said, like you just, an overarching theme here, like you just like, you know what, I'm too lazy to figure out this. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to set up an invoice to send you something because it's going to disrupt everything else yeah. that's going on. That's why I write books because people kept asking me the same questions and like, I'm lazy. I don't want to keep answering the same questions you have with the same answers. So if I write a book, then all I have to do when people keep asking me the same question over and over again is like, here's the book. <laughs> like $5, by the way, if you want the answer, it's in the book. And there's a whole lot more as well. So how about you read it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's funny because I, I now do a daily podcast where I just answer a question yeah. because I get asked all these questions all the time. And I do mentoring, you know, coaching a small amount of, of clients there. But, you know, people tweet 
send me emails. I'm an open book. I, you know, I'll answer it. But if I get asked the same question, I was like, okay, no, like, what am I going to cut and paste all the time? And like, <laughs> see, what you're doing is smart, though, because you're still providing the answer in a one to many relationship. Like one person asks the question privately or even on Twitter, nobody's going to see it because they're not looking at replies typically. But then you answer it on a podcast and then you're providing all the other people who had the same question, but maybe didn't ask or would ask in the future with that answer. So they don't have to ask you that question. It's a fit. You're super yeah. efficient. <laughs> well, I'll take it. I'll take it. I mean, it, it was started as an experiment and I was going to do it for 30 days, but now it's, you know, at the time of this recording, 75 now, episode 75. So and it's fun yeah. for me. It's, it's fun. You yeah. know, I'd much rather do that than write a blog post. I'll be honest. So what does life look like for you today? Um, it's pretty like, I guess it's good because I'm never really doing the same thing for very long. Like if I'm writing a book, I'm taking three or, or four months to sit. Like they, it takes a couple of years to do a book, but like the actual sitting down and writing a first draft, I'll just do that for like three or four months or with like what I'm doing now with like software, I'll take a couple months to build the software out. And then the maintenance of it, takes far less time. So I can do that in the background while I'm doing another thing. So every three or four months, it completely changes. Sometimes I'll be beginning of this year, I was redoing all the lessons in one of my courses. And that was a couple months worth of work, even though the lesson I just I, I like them to be of the highest quality. So I just wanted to make them even better, even though nobody <laughs> nobody's even asking me to update the lessons. It's just like, I can do this better. So it took me a couple months to redo them. But they also they also make decent revenue, so I can, I feel like it's worth it to me to keep investing in these things that I make. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's totally different. Like this week is mostly design work. Next week is probably going to be mostly writing work. The week after that could just be like interviews and like promotion and that sort of thing. So it's all over the place, man. Like it doesn't. There's no. But I like that. Like that to me keeps me on board because I'm always doing different stuff. For one, I admire how you could plan literally like six months out. Right? <laughs> like there's no way, like I'm a planner and my wife's a planner and you know, our son, I don't know. Well, he's one. So yeah, not yet, not yet, <laughs> but you know, like I have my weekly review, I do quarterly reviews and stuff, but to be able to say like, I'm going to draft up six months worth of emails to send out to my list. Like, how, how does that work? Like, how do you say like, I mean, if I was, first of all, if I did six months worth of emails, there goes one week, right? Um, I mean, <laughs> like, there's nothing else getting done, yeah. right? But that's what I do. Like that is like, I'll take typically not a week for articles that I write, but I'll typically take a day or two and just write articles. Cause I found that like the more that I batch similar work, the faster I get it done. Like, if I sit down for the day and I write one article, that probably takes me like an hour, maybe two hours to do the first one. Then the next one could be 30 minutes and the next one could be 20 minutes. And like I get into a groove and I can get more done because I'm doing the same thing over and over again. And then I get bored then I don't do it for like a month or two. Right. But then like, so this week is mostly design. So like I'm getting much faster at like I'm remembering all the shortcuts and I'm getting much faster at building like UI elements because that's all I'm doing. My brain is like in UI mode right now. If I'm coding, my brain is like in code mode. So if I'm writing, same thing. So I find that it's just like, it's helpful for me to get stuff done fast by, by doing things like grouped together. 
that are similar. Yeah, I mean, I've heard good things about batching. Yeah. It just <laughs> I haven't I haven't wrapped my head yet around that, and I've started to think more about it because of the daily podcast now. Yeah, because it's it's only a five minute podcast. It's just me answering a question, and then that's it. But if I could queue that up like Monday morning for the week, like that would be great. And then I don't have to worry about it, but it's, you know, I don't know. It's kind of a therapeutic thing. And the thing is too, like what if what you wrote about in January comes out in May, but then it's like, okay, well I don't really think about that or it's not of uh, in the context of maybe something that's going on that has changed in your life at that time. Yeah. I mean, I try to keep what I write evergreen and even like if my articles sometimes like six months would be the maximum, like the article that I sent out last week, I just kept pushing it back in the queue. So I'm usually like two or three months out. So one, I never write about current events because I don't know anything about current events. I like, I honestly, like I watched Colbert um, at lunch and I learned about somebody biting Beyonce in the face and I don't even know who it is. So it's like, I don't know anything about current events. So what I write about is never about that. Um, things don't really change that much in a couple months. And as well, like the books that I write come out years in advance, which I really have to think like, is this still going to be relevant? So a couple months to wait is pretty short compared to other things that I have to do in my life. So it actually seems pretty short for me. Like, oh, I'm totally going to believe this in two months. I would probably like, I still read, I go over everything I send out um, a few days before just to make sure that I still believe it i would probably take it out of um take it out of the queue if if it was something that wasn't really working or i didn't believe in anymore hasn't happened yet it could totally could Mm. but yeah i'm not writing current events so like something (laughs) is not like some somebody isn't gonna i'm not gonna write about somebody and there's like some sex scandal about them and then it would be like really bad if i said something (laughs) like that's never gonna that's never gonna happen so considering i've been reading your newsletters for some time now and I couldn't picture you coming out with a Beyonce newsletter. <laughs> well, I this like, when I make references to stuff, it's stuff from like the 16th, like Diderot and like the 16th century French philosopher. Like things aren't really changing day to day for that guy. Like it's just not happening. <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm the same way. I don't know what's going on in the world. I, and it was funny too, because my wife, my wife watches the news and she pays attention to that kind of stuff. And, and, <laughs> Those poor Chilean mi- miners were stuck in that mine for a month. Yeah. I had never even heard about it. I think it, it was longer. <laughs> I think it was like three months. And then I, and then it came across my Twitter, and that's usually my news feed. Huh. Is like if it's something comes across my Twitter, then okay, the rest of this world has already found out about this. But I said something to her about that. She goes, "Yeah, how did you not know about this?" Yeah, I go, "I don't know. I don't pay attention yeah, to I don't that." Even pay stuff. attention to Twitter, so. <laughs> So that's funny. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this has been awesome. I do thank you for your time, but but before I let you go, I mean, what is the future Paul hold? Yeah. I mean, I have no idea is the easiest answer. Cause like, I really don't know, like obviously a book comes out next year, but I don't like that doesn't matter right now as far as like the public's concerned, but yeah, like I like making stuff. So whether it's a book or software or course or whatever it is, like that's what I like doing. I seem to be decent at it or at least decent enough to make a living at it. So unless that changes, I don't see my behavior around that changing (laughs) in any way because like it's rewarding to me both mentally and financially to do the, to, to do the things that I do. So 
yeah, I just want to like I like my I like my work. It's fun. Cool. Nah, that's that's perfect. Yeah. So uh, where can people reach out and say thanks to you? Um, I'm on Twitter. <laughs> I don't pay attention to Twitter. You can find me on Twitter. PJRVS.com. No, really, like the easiest place to like find out about me or to keep in touch or to like see what I'm doing is my newsletter, The Sunday Dispatches. If you Google Paul Jarvis, I think I'm the first couple links on on Google. But that's like the main place. Like I, I'm like I said, I suck at paying attention to Twitter. But my newsletter goes out every Sunday morning, no exceptions, unless I'm taking a break that's scheduled. And then if people email, like if people reply to that, I reply to them. Like if people reply and ask me a question, I'm like, you're letting me show up in your inbox. So I'm going to do whatever I can to, to, to answer your questions. So my newsletter is really the, I don't even think I have an email address on my website. <laughs> like there's no way to get a hold of me other than my newsletter. But that's also the place like, if you like the things that I'm talking about, then you'll like the articles that I send out every week. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing it since 2012. And yeah, it's enjoyable. Like I really, I really like it. And I put a lot of work and time. So does the rest of the people that I work with um, into those pieces. So yeah, that's the best, that's the best place. Awesome. That's perfect. And I, I, I love the Sunday dispatches when it comes out because I'll be honest, I do my Sunday morning review of my week. So I inbox it and it's always right there. Yep. <laughs> it's like the only thing that's in the inbox on Sunday. And it's great. Nice. So definitely go check that out. And everybody until next time, it's your time to live in the feast. Thank you so much for listening today. And if you've enjoyed this episode, then head on over to liveinthefeast.com and subscribe. Go ahead and leave Paul and I a five-star rating and review in iTunes as well. It will help others find this episode. Next week, I'll be back with Carrie Dills talking about how her ambition and her goal of running a coffee shop turned into becoming a freelance web developer. Till then, it's your time to live in the feast. Live in the feast.